Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm so glad that I have Dr. Glenn Pickering with me this hour. You're going to enjoy this. We're going to be talking about kids today. No matter how old our children are, we are likely to make four mistakes when we talk with them. Ooh, that's what we're talking about today. Now, if you head over to glennpickering.com, if you're at home or maybe listening at to this tonight on a podcast, if you head to his website, he has done this very cool thing at the top headline. It says media. And if you click on media, you then get a choice to download the outline that we'll be working off today. How about that? It says interview outlines, and here's May 19th, 2021. I clicked on that, and there it is. So if you want to follow along with the outline that Glenn and I are working off today. It is right there at glennpickering.com. That's Glenn with two N's. Glenn is a uh, psychologist, a teacher, an engineer, a pastor, kind of does it all. <laughs> does the mall very well. Glenn, welcome back. Thank you. It's always good to be here. True. Yeah, thanks. So let's talk about the four mistakes all right. we uh, make when talking to our kids, no matter how old they are. That's right. 4, 24, 44, 84, it doesn't matter. Okay. We make these mistakes with our kids. And we get the same reaction. So number one is, if we're not careful, we give answers to questions that nobody's asking. <laughs> now, here's what I mean by that. Mm-hmm. I think, so I'm going to give an elementary school situation, a high school one, and a, you know, 44-year-old one. Okay. And I promise you, you say this to your kid, you get the same reaction no matter what. So the elementary school kid comes home and says, oh, mom or dad, I did really bad on my math test. Instead of showing empathy or asking how we could help or any of the things we could do that would be helpful, we say, well, you have to start studying harder. I told you, you're going to quit doing those video games. You gotta... So the kids just tell them about a situation in their life. And instead of getting compassion or help or understanding, they get an answer to a question they're not asking. Here's what you should do. And they're going to look at you with frustration and annoyance for two reasons. The frustration because what they wanted to get from you, they didn't get understanding, empathy, help, caring. And what they did get is annoying because that's not what they wanted to get. So they're frustrated because they didn't get what they wanted. And they're annoyed with you because what they did get they didn't want Mm -hmm. because they weren't asking a question, but they got an answer for a question nobody was asking. Okay, high school kid comes home and says, I had this bad argument with my boyfriend or my girlfriend or a friend of mine, who knows what. And we want to say, well, you should just ditch them or you should tell them or from no one, you should just... And they're going to look at us with that exact same look. Frustration, because they're not asking. And annoyance, because they're getting all this advice and control they didn't ask for. Or the kid comes home and is older, and they say, Hey, Mom and Dad, we just bought this cool new house. And we look at it, and we think, Oh, I would have never bought that house. You shouldn't have bought that house. You should buy a house that's bigger. You shouldn't. And you're going to get that exact same look. Frustration, not what I wanted. Annoyance, got what I didn't want. You answered a question I literally was not asking. 
I didn't come here saying, hey, do you think we should buy a bigger house than the one we just put a down payment on? (laughs) (laughs) Nobody's asking that question. And no matter what age your kid is, you'll get that exact same look. Frustration plus annoyance. But you have your opinion and you want to share it. You want to you want to solve a problem. Uh-huh. And if the kid comes home, let's start with the younger kid. Sure. Didn't do good on my math test. Right. Well, I've got an answer for that. Study uh-huh. harder. <laughs> Play less video games. Right, exactly. Yeah. And, right, just listen to me. I'll tell you what to do. Now, yeah. turns out we all have free will. And we really, really don't like it when somebody tries to violate the free will that God gave us. And even a four-year-old will say things like, you're not the boss of me. Because <laughs> even when we're little, we still get on some really fundamental level. God gave us free will. So as soon as somebody says to me, Glenn, you have to see, already, I don't want to do it. I can literally feel that kid part of me rising up like, no, I don't have to. I don't even know what it is yet. <laughs> but I also, I'm still going to have that same sort of almost primitive reaction because we're, our free will is literally being violated, and God gave us that free will. So, I mean, it's just fundamentally wrong and that's why we get that look of frustration and annoyance every time well where does the parental wisdom come in then so what what should we be doing thank you this there are three things and a fourth thing which we can do if it comes up one empathy oh dad i failed my math test oh no that's too bad right like i give a rip Mm -hmm. (laughs) because if we just do the advice they don't even think we give a rip they think we don't care just want to march to the solution. We skip right over the part where they feel like we care about them. Um, so, but if I'm just willing to say something like, "Oh, that's too bad," or the problem with the boyfriend or whatever, "Oh, that's too bad," or, okay, and that lets the kid know, "Oh, I matter to you." Okay. Second, then I'm going to say, "Well, what happened exactly? You know, I did bad on my tasks. I, you know, bought this house, or I got in an argument with my boyfriend or girlfriend. Oh, what happened exactly?" And they get a chance to tell their story, which is what they want to do. And if we listen to their story, at the end they feel like, okay, you get me. So they can tell, I matter to you, I matter to you and you get me. And then we say, so how can I help? So now we've achieved all three things that they need from us. They can tell they matter to us, that we get them, and that we're on their team. We're not here to boss them around, we're here to be on their team. That's what every kid wants. No kid wants to be alone. But they also don't want to feel like somebody just stepped in and took over my life. They want to feel like we are a powerful player on their team. So instead of telling them what to do when they're not asking, we can make sure and do those three things. A little bit of empathy. Oh, okay. Give them a chance to tell their story. Well, and how did that happen? Or, and then what happened? Or what are you thinking you want to do? And then I'm going to say, and how can I help? Now, here's a really cool thing. So now their defenses are down. They feel cared about, they feel connected to me, they can tell I care about them, and I'm on their team. Then they might very well say something like, what do you think I should do? Now that they can tell, I get it. Nobody wants to tell their situation to somebody who doesn't want to bother listening and still going to tell them what to do, even though they didn't take the time to bother understanding the situation. Well, that's always going to be hurtful. Oh, I got an argument at work. Well, here's what you should do. Okay, no, so you didn't listen to what the argument was about, or what happened, or why it was hurtful to me, but you still think you have the right to tell me what to do. It, like, I mean, it's so wrong balance that it will, it will literally trigger anybody, but it will especially would trigger a kid. So they're going to want to know, well, now what do you think I can do? Well, what do you think I should do? And here's the trick. They still don't want to lecture. They want, they want us to do what I call connect and then lead. So I've done the connecting. I have empathy, ask what happened, ask how I can help, and they really want to know what do you think. Okay. 
So I'm going to tell a story about a time when something similar happened to me and what I learned. Oh, you know, it happened to me when I was your age, and one of the real things I realized is I just wasn't actually being very intentional about how I did my studying. So I got a little more intentional about setting that up. Now, here's the trick. And then you stop talking. Honestly, it takes discipline. People say, oh, Glenn, you make everything sound so simple. I think, no, it's not. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> they will be powerfully tempted to say, and so you should. No. Then, because as soon as we do that, we're right back to answering a question they're not asking. I'm going to get that same withdrawn, shut down look. They're going to look down. The body's going to pull it away from me, and pretty soon the conversation's over. So I'm going to share a similar experience and say what I learned. Oh, I had this terrible argument with my boyfriend or girlfriend, blah, 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 and I'm so mad at them now. And they're going to say, well, what do you think I should do? If I listen, ask questions, pay attention. And I say, you know, a lot of times I notice when I get in arguments with people, especially close to me, oftentimes it turns out because I misunderstood something. So what I do first now whenever there's an argument, I just go back and make sure I actually understood what they're saying to me because a lot of times I get in arguments because one of us didn't really get it. Okay. And off they go. Notice I didn't tell them they should do it. I didn't tell them how to do it. I just said, here's what I learned. Now, so when you say, should parents be able to share their wisdom? Absolutely. In just this way. First I listen. They can tell I get it. Then they're going to want to know, what do you think? I'm going to tell them a similar experience I had and what I learned. And then I'm going to stop talking. <laughs> that part's really important. Glenn, I like the formula, but I think there's there's landmines all over the place. Oh, gosh, yes. Go ahead and I mean, I'm just them. I'm just thinking, <laughs> yep. um, let's just go back to the story where maybe the the kid doesn't do well on his math test and all right you express i'm sorry it didn't go well what happened and kid says well it was the geometry test and i forgot my protractor at home oh okay so it's like well yeah don't you remember i told you six times to make sure you put it in your book bag before Uh uh-huh you leave now now i'm mad exactly now but here's what's really important to understand that's because our ego just got pulled into their situation Say more about that. Well, see, let's say they forgot their protractor, and so they did bad in their geometry test. The instant I get mad because I already told them and they didn't do it, I just made their problem about me. And as soon as I say, well, I told you, see, we are now in wrong relationship, and I mean in seriously wrong relationship, because I just took their conversation and turned it into a conversation about me. And, And they will look at me like, They'll shake their head and they'll walk away because for them the conversation's really over. Mm-hmm. So um, it's important that we not make our stuff about them because otherwise, what are we saying? Well, you should learn the first time just like I do. Well, let's be honest. How many of us learned something the first time? <laughs> yeah, but maybe the parent is saying, I tried to be so helpful to make sure you had everything ready to go for your, your, your test. Uh-huh. And I said to you three or four times, make sure you have your protractor ready uh-huh. to go. Right. And don't leave it on your desk. Make sure it's in your book bag. Right. And then, so if I really drop all that stuff where I literally, every one of those sentences about me, and you know who a kid thinks the whole world is about? Them. Right. So I've just lost them totally. I've switched over into a foreign language. <laughs> okay. Thinking I'm making a valid point, but the only thing they did is just checked out. So the third question member is going to say, I'm going to show empathy, and that's what happened. And I'm going to say, how can I help? And now we're going to find out that I have been bugging them about the protractor, but somehow that way of doing it didn't work. So if instead of saying, I told you so, blah, 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 we just say, okay, well, how can we do that better? Well, I need a reminder. Okay, what kind of reminder would actually work for you? 
Well, maybe we could just put a post-it on the door when I walk out. So you don't have to tell, because if you tell me earlier, then when it's time to go, I forget. Oh, okay. So we're going to go put a post-it on the door tomorrow morning, protractor, and you're going to remember the protractor. Cause so the kid goes and puts the post-it note on the door, right, exactly. not, the, not the parent. Right. Yeah. So, and what am I doing? I'm teaching the kid how to problem solve. Okay. In a way that works for them. So, because in the end, see, I want my kid, what can I say? When my daughter was first born, my pastor, who's, oh, such a wise person, he said, Glenn, now you have to be clear now that you're a parent. Are you going to try and raise an obedient child or a responsible adult? And 34 years later, that, that question still rings in my ears. Wow. Like I, so, if I solve my kids' problems for them and then tell them what to do, I'm raising an obedient child. If I help them figure out what to do, say I'm raising a responsible adult, I'm teaching them problem-solving skills at an age when they're just, I mean, they can actually start using those skills. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah, cool. Yeah, Dr. Glenn Pickering is our guest for the hour. I bet you have a question. Feel yeah, free to questions. text it over. Right. 877-933-2484. We're talking about uh, mistakes parents make. I can't imagine that's ever happened, though, before. Any parent making a mistake? but I don't, I don't I can't believe that cool. and then uh, 877-933-2484 we've already talked about one mistake when we come back we're going to talk about number two we talk when we should be listening that's all up next <laughs> Dr. Glenn Pickering today. We're talking about parenting, uh, both young kids and old kids. Yeah. If you've got kids in your 40s or 50s or 60s, you still have ways in which you communicate, right? That's right. Mm-hmm. And some of those ways work and some of those ways don't. Yeah, so this is good <laughs> advice for all parents of all ages with right. kids of all ages. Glenn has got a lovely outline. If you head over to glennpickering.com, it's right there up on the website under the media tab. You just click on media and there it is right front and center. So that is labeled uh, May 19th, 2021. So Glenn, let's talk about number two. Right. The second mistake okay. we, right. we make is what? We talk when we should be listening. Okay. Now, and I think this is important in all conversations and honestly, everything I say today could be said about all relationships truthfully, but they're especially true with kids because they're the kid. And here's what I mean. Um, so my daughter is 34 now and I love her to death, of course. I always thought, I think that when she was out of college, living her adult life, we'd have mostly a purely adult adult relationship, but you know, nothing like a little experience to prove all your theories are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Cause see, she's still the kid in her mind. She's still my kid. And so like, for example, if there's a bit of a problem in our relationship, it's going to be harder for her to bring it up than me. Cause she's, sees herself as the kid in that relationship. Mm-hmm. And so we need to understand in all of our relationships, but especially in the relationships with people who see themselves as our kids, to understand that we really, really need to do even more in that relationship what we need to do in all relationships, which is to listen instead of talking. So 
in James 1, the first chapter we hear, you know, we should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger. And I think, right. But mostly we're slow to listen, quick to speak, and we have all kinds of reactions all over the map. <laughs> but none of those are actually helpful to a conversation, it turns out. So, um, hmm. so if a kid is just trying to tell you something about what happened to them during the day, if you're not careful, you immediately move to whether you agree or disagree or whether you think there's a good idea or a bad idea, or an opinion you have about that, or why they probably shouldn't play with that kid anyway, because they're a bad influence. <laughs> or who knows what's going through your head. And if you're not careful, that's what you'll actually say. Instead of just understanding, I just need to listen. My kid needs to feel understood by somebody. And this is true in all relationships, of course. You know, Jesus said the role of marriage, the goal of marriage is that the two shall become as one. I wish he did not mean that we're supposed to be clones of one another. It's that I think if me and Gwen get to our 80s and we're sitting in our rocking chair looking out over the water, it's my particular vision, <laughs> I should be able to look at her and think, I know you almost as well as I know my own self. Not that we're the same, but that I get you. I really get you. And even when you respond differently than me, you have different opinions than I do. I get why you do, because I get you. Well, see, that's what our kids want from us. They want to feel like we get them, not that we always agree or we think the same thing or we would have done the same thing in their shoes. They want to feel like we get them. Therefore, when they're telling us their long, rambly little stories, whether they're (laughs) 4 or 24, they just need to feel like we get them. They want to know that this person in their life who's so important to them gets them, that somebody actually has their back. And as soon as we start talking in the middle of their story, sharing our opinions or saying we agree or disagree, See, it wrecks that thing we're trying to create, which is that there's somebody who actually gets you. Glenn, I think you've really hit on something significant, and it'll probably sound very elementary to you. But when people feel misunderstood or they don't feel that their voice is being heard, and let's say they go and see a counselor such as yourself, a therapist, and they tell their story, and the therapist, you, says, I get it, I understand it. They walk away going, finally, someone gets me. Right. (laughs) Actually, that's really, really true. And if I send somebody to an AA group, they might very well come back saying the same thing. I thought I was alone. Mm -hmm. But there are people like me. There are people who get me. There are people who walked a mile in my shoes, and they have advice for me that actually makes sense because they've actually been there because they get it. Mm -hmm. Right. We just all had a profound need to be understood. Yeah, yeah. Just to to be heard and to be understood. Right. Even if you're... What you are sharing is messed up yes. and needs help and you need work. But just to at least say, I get where I understand what you're saying. Right. Then does then don't people take a big sigh of relief? Yes. Oh, finally. Like, oh, thank goodness. Right. Yeah. Because it's what we all want. Everything we talk about, our communication, living in a community, caring for one another, not caring for, <clears throat> excuse me, caring for one another. It's about feeling like there are people who get me. Like, it's so important. And the people who are closest to us, who we feel most connected to, will always be the people who we feel like get us. Yeah. What about when you're trying to draw a conversation out and people are kids, older kids are, can be very difficult to communicate with. Right. How was school today? Fine. Yep. So. How's that thing going with your friend? Okay. Now, here's what I'm always going to do. So tell me about this listening thing. You can't get them to talk. (laughs) If you have a younger kid you need to ask more concrete questions. If you have an older kid, you need to ask more open-ended questions. So let me tell you what I mean by that. If I have a little kid, like a kindergarten, a first, second, third, fourth, fifth grade, 
I asked them, hey, how's your day go today? See, I'm asking them to do what an adult can do. Go back, think about their day, look at it sort of piece by piece, and then evaluate <laughs> overall what kind of a day was that. <laughs> going to work. But little kids are really concrete thinkers. Yeah. So my third grader had a substitute teacher yesterday. I'm going to say, hey, do you have a substitute teacher again today? Yes, it was Miss Rosemary. And she said, because all you have to do is give them a place to start from. Yep. You know, they've got all kinds of stuff they want to blab about. I just have to give them a really concrete question to start from because if I ask them an abstract question, they're like, uh, they literally can't answer that question. Now, with older kids, we actually have to do the other way around. We tend to ask older kids black and white questions when that's not helpful. So let's say my daughter, she's 16, we'll say. She goes to a party. It's pretty fun. Some gals there, some guys, including a guy she used to date who she hasn't seen for a long while, and they're trying to kind of be friends. And it went a little awkwardly, but she's a little hopeful that maybe they could be friends eventually. So she comes home, and I ask her a concrete question. I could ask the little kid, hey, was it fun at the party? See, yes or no doesn't make sense to that question. Well, it was a little uncomfortable. It was kind of interesting. I met this guy. I might still like him as a friend, but I really, was it fun at the party? She's going to look at me like, yeah, I guess, because... I asked a very concrete question to a kid who wants to tell me a more elaborate story. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say something like, um, so how was the party? And if I get, I might get a longer answer if I get, but no matter what I get, I'm going to ask a follow-up question. So she might even say, huh, I don't know, a little weird. I'm going to say, oh, what was weird? Because see, that's an invitation to a conversation. And it might look to you like you're being cut off, but they're literally just trying to answer your question. And they're mostly hoping you ask a follow-up question because that shows (laughs) you care. I'm not kidding. It's really true. If I walk down the hallway and I see somebody I work with um, and I say, hey, how, and they say, hey, how's it going? See, we don't know if they're actually asking, but they're just making small talk on the way by. So we give some simple answers like, oh, okay. They say, okay, great. See ya. Then they answer that question. Oh, you weren't really asking. Is that even small talk, Glenn? I know. Or is it just... It's cordial exchange. It's just talk. I'm trying to make some noise as I walk past I mean. you, so it's not yeah. uncomfortable. Yes. So, um, but if they say, "Hey, how's your day going?" I say, "Yeah, okay," and they stop and say, "Oh, how come only okay?" Oh, you were actually asking. Yeah. Well, then I'm going to tell them more of my story. Right. But we don't blurt our story out to somebody if we can't tell if they're actually asking. So we need to understand it's that second question that shows no, I actually cared. Mm-hmm. I actually was asking. And so if we get a short answer from a kid, even if we do, I'm still going to ask a follow-up question because they're just trying to figure out if I'm actually asking or not. Okay. I want to probe that some more when we come back. Dr. Glenn Pickering is our guest. You can go to glennpickering.com. Under the media tab, there is his outline that we're discussing right now available for you to look at. We'll also take questions, 877-933-2484. 8-4. Be right back. Dr. Glenn Pickering, talking about mistakes 
that we can make when it comes to parenting, no matter how old your kids are. Yep. I, I feel, Glenn, we've targeted a little bit of the younger kids, but there's certainly listeners with younger kids. And, uh, of course, there's people listening that have grandkids. Right, absolutely. And, and they're watching some of right. this play out in the lives absolutely. of their kids and right. grandkids. Yep, so if you have young kids, old kids, grandkids, I promise you the rules are always the same. They literally don't change. Yeah. So we've talked about uh, four things. We give answers to questions they're not asking, and we just talked about um, how we talk when we should be listening. Right. Um, just let's touch it again about the agree and disagree, the, sec- the second response. Okay. Well, see, what I think is, you know, um, some of the listeners have heard me talk about how important I think it is to be a second responder. All of us have sort of a knee-jerk reaction. And it's important to understand that's just our ego chattering. That's probably not even what we want to say. And it's certainly probably not going to be helpful to say. So I want to spend just three seconds, and I want to use my freedom in Christ to come up with a better answer. Oh, I failed my math test today. One, two. Oh, that's too bad. What happened? And it takes me those three seconds to override that part of me that wants to yell or tell me they should study harder or fix the problem with them or any of those things which are so unhelpful. So I'm gonna, I just want to give myself those three seconds to come up with an answer. And since I always know now in the back of my head, I want to empathize, I want to ask what happened, and I want to ask how can I can help. And I have that little outline in the back of my head all the time. So I'm going to slow down that first reaction just long enough to make those choices. Okay, I like that. Let's go to number three. Mm-hmm. And out of the, the four, this would be uh, the trickier one, I think. It is a little tricky. Because, yeah, so explain this one. Well, because they are kids. And the reason kids have parents in their life is because kids make bad decisions. Because <laughs> they can't see consequences very well. Mm-hmm. And so it's our job not to make the decision for them. It's our job to help them think about the consequences. So when my daughter was 14, it was probably like 3.30 in the afternoon. I don't know why I was home then. But she said, hey, Dad, my friend Krista wants to go um, shopping to the mall. Is it okay if I go? I said, well, um, if you come home late... It, that would be bad for your mom because she's making supper, and that would be hurtful to her if you miss supper. And this is the time you usually do your homework. So I calmed myself before I said no because, no because your mom's making supper, no because this is your time to do homework. I said, well, here's the issue that I see. You have to be respectful of your mom, and you need to do your homework sometime. Okay, thanks, Dad. She goes, runs back downstairs to her bedroom. She comes back up and says, okay, I talked to Krista and her mom. They promised they'll have me back here by 5.15 so I can help mom set the table and get ready for dinner. And tonight, instead of watching my show from 7 to 8 o'clock that I usually watch, I'll do my homework. Great. Notice I didn't make that decision. I guided her in making that decision. Like, here are the possible consequences that you have to think about as you make this decision. So I didn't say, don't do it because. I said, here's the things you need to think about. So... All of us who are parents and our kids come, can I do this or not? And you can just feel that knee-jerk part that just wants to ask that, answer that question. Yes or no, because. Instead of saying that, we think, okay, well, hon, here are my concerns. In order to do that, you're going to have to find a way to address those concerns. In other words, you have to practice making decisions. And here's how we make decisions. We think about possible consequences and how we're going to handle those before we make the decision. Hey, Dad, I want to buy the $600,000 house. How much money do you have? hundred bucks? Uh, you haven't really thought this one through, have you? See, I don't want to get to that point. I wanted to figure that stuff out when they're little about thinking about consequences and then making their decisions based on those consequences. So 
It's, but they're not going to be able to. So it's my job at the beginning when they're just learning how is to just lay out potential consequences so that they can think through, okay, what do I want to do about that? How will I handle that? And as long as they come back with an answer that satisfies those criteria in a way that makes sense to me, we're all good to go. Mm-hmm. Got some questions flying in here, Glenn. Great, what, love it. What do you do if you try to ask, like to adult children, and generally get one-word answers? I struggle with this and try to be a good listener. Okay, great. Now, it's possible um, that you have a very introverted person and you need to do the thing I talked about, about asking follow-up questions, because all of us who are really introverted, we need follow-up questions. If my wife says, hey, Glenn, how's your day? I give it a lot of thought. I think about my whole day. I think in the end, hey, it's actually a really good day. And I say out loud, it was a good day. And she knows now she needs to ask, oh, what made it good? And mm-hmm. then I talk about that. <laughs> so <laughs> mm-hmm. if it's just because that person in your life is introverted, you need to understand. You just need to ask them a really simple follow-up question because that's how introverts function. Um, so that could be true. It's also possible they've learned that if they do tell the answers, give the honest answer to that question, that they might get criticized or judged by you. So you need to take just a careful moment to sue some sort of peripheral discernment about that. Have it come across controlling in the past or have it come across critical? Because when kids start giving one-word answers, it's either because they're introverted and you don't ask follow-up questions, or it's because they've learned that that question is just going to go to a bad place and they don't want to be a part of that, so they just say fine. So, and if you decide, hey, they're introverted, great, start practicing follow-up questions and you'll be laugh to yourself how easy it is to get them to talk. If you think, maybe I have been critical in the past and this is sort of, this is their shutdown thing, now they're kind of avoiding that, I'd like you to go to them and just say, hey, hon, you know, and we're going to talk about this in a minute about apologizing. I think in the past when you've been talking to me, I've been too critical and I've just, God has been sort of nudging me about that and I think, you know what, so... I want you to know I'm going to practice being just really more open. So I'm hoping in the future when I ask how your day went, they tell me. They give me a chance to practice just being open. Are you up for that? And 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 get them to be on your team about it. It's co-opt them, if you would. So they think, oh, okay. So notice, we're not saying you should be different. We're saying, I really, really want to be different. Are you willing to join me in that process? Because kids so often get told by their parents what they're doing wrong but we don't so rarely do what Jesus said. We're supposed to see the log in our own eye, not the speck in somebody else's eye. And this is just as true with our kids. In fact, it's more true. If there's something off, we have to be the one to come to them and say, you know what? I need to get better at asking follow-up questions, so I'm going to practice just so you know. So I hope you kind of give me the time of day to kind of practice that. Or I think, you know, I've probably been too critical in the past, and I promise you I'm going to work like crazy at that, and I'd like you to give me a chance. Is that Okay to let them know, I take that, I take responsibility, I see what I might have been doing, and I'd ask you to kind of meet me in the middle. Is that okay? Oh, what kid wouldn't say yes to that? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they want to be known. Remember, they want to know we get them. They've just probably given up thinking we're going to. Mm. So we just need to show them, no, we actually could still get there. Nice. All right, here's another question, Glenn. Right. Here's the short version. Adult okay. child in their 30s mm-hmm. in crisis moments expecting us to help with a financial purchase and a short timeline. Relationship with us is based on results of how we meet this person's needs. Right. So, <laughs> remember, I always lose clients because I tell them everything's 50-50 and people don't like to hear that. I say if you're in a crazy-making relationship, you have to start off by understanding you're half crazy. <laughs> so, if there's a person in my life who keeps expecting me to save them financially, waits till the last minute, till a crisis, and then ask me to save them, that means they've gotten in the habit of expecting I'm going to do that. I've literally taught them that that's okay and that I will do that. So, of course, what are they going to do the next time? Same thing. Wait until the crisis moment? Wait until the crisis moment and come ask me for money because... 
That's how we do it. And it's important to understand we together have created that pattern. We both share 50% responsibility for however that weird pattern developed. And so I'm going to say to that kid, hey, of course I'm going to help you this time because it's not fair to spring stuff on you at the last minute. But I need you to know in the future I don't want to do this. So if you have money trouble paying rent, I'll pay your rent this month. But I'm not going to pay it ever again unless you and I sit down next week and come up with a budget that actually makes sense that you can actually live with so we don't have to find ourselves here again next week. So will I fix it this time? Yes, because it's not fair to tell somebody at the last minute, oh, I'm not doing that thing. I'm always done. Well, that's not fair. But it is fair to say, but I'm not going to do it again. And here's what we're going to do instead. Because otherwise, I'm literally just enabling that crazy pattern. Mm-hmm. Another question, how yep. should you respond when you're at that point of asking the, how can you help? Yep. Instead of telling them you already set things out for them and they say, I don't know, and that's all they say. Then I'm going to say, well, give us some thought. I'll ask you again a little later on today. <laughs> so we're not, not going to have this conversation. Yeah. I'm not going to jam my answer down your throat, but we're also not going to not have this conversation. Because mm-hmm. part of what I'm not going to do as a parent is I'm not going to take no answer for an answer. So I'm going to say, okay, well, that's fine. Take some time to think about it. Because, you know, some of us process information differently. Some of us have to kind of go away and think about it. That's okay. But then after supper, I want us to kind of sit down and have a little strategy session, okay? So they see it. When I said I wanted to know your thoughts, I did. Otherwise, we're saying, yeah, I asked that question, but I didn't really mean it. Yeah. <laughs> well, then what happens next time I ask a question? They said I didn't mean it then either, and they're not going to answer that one either. And pretty soon we got that pattern going. Yeah. Kids are smart, aren't they? <laughs> Let's just say they respond to the input they're receiving. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So do we have more to mine on point number three? We make decisions but, when we should be guiding their decisions. Well, here's the big thing I think about that. I, um, when I was working on my doctoral internship, I was fortunate enough to um, spend a year at the McAllister College Counseling Center. And, you know, kids would come to me who are getting in trouble in class or not showing up in class or using drugs or who knows what. And before I ever worked there, I would have assumed that those were the kids who came from really chaotic families, et cetera, et cetera. But what I found almost to a person is that they actually came from families who were very controlling, who made all their decisions for them. So these kids didn't have any practice making even small decisions. And now it's time to make big decisions, go to class or not, have sex or not, drink or not. I mean, these are big deal decisions. I had a kid sit in my office one time and say, um, you know, is that the story the other day? And... I saw this pair of pants I really liked, and I had the money for them, and they were the bright size, and they looked really good, but I couldn't decide to buy them or not. I think, right, because somebody had made his decision for him all of his life. He literally couldn't even decide to buy that pair of pants. Now, later on at the frat party, somebody's going to hand him a beer, and he's supposed to decide now what to do. He can't decide what pants to wear. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So back when that pastor said, Glenn, you have to decide if you're raising an obedient child or a responsible adult. It it just really sunk into me at that moment how right that was. I bet those those parents said, when you get to that frat party, don't you dare drink a beer. Right, exactly. But now he he isn't surrounded by his parents. He's used to having somebody else tell him what to do. And all the people at the frat are like, oh, come on, one beer, be a guy, would you? And I'm really used to doing what people tell me to do. Well, guess what? Now I have 14 people telling me to drink the beer. Okay. <laughs> right? And I'm used yeah. to doing what other people tell me to do. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a big message. Yeah. Um, all right. I think I'm going to take a break a little okay. bit early yeah. because I want to deal with some more questions that are coming in. Okay, great. 
Uh, Dr. Glenn Pickering is my guest. And if you go to his website, glennpickering.com, he's got a couple things going on there. He's added this new um, media tab. If you hit that, you can get the outline of today's discussion. He's made it available for you. He also, about midway down the page, has an invitation for you to have a complimentary 20-minute conversation with him. No strings attached. You just fill out a little form, and he's not going to bug you. You're not going to bug anyone, are you? Yeah, call him up and ask when we can meet. Yeah, that, that's it. <laughs> and it's over the phone, right? Right, yep. Yep, and you get 20 minutes. And, and if I know Glenn well enough to know that 20 minutes with him is a lot of time. <laughs> so glennpickering.com. After a short break, we'll be back, but do send questions. Keep them coming, 877-933-2484. We've got one more point to make, and that is we think of parental authority in worldly ways instead of godly ways. That's all next. Glenn Pickering is in studio with me. We're talking about mistakes that we make when we talk with kids. And kids can be of any age, Glenn. Yep. Just so you know. (laughs) Your daughter's 34, right? Yep, that's right. Yep, but she reads at a 35-year-old level. She's always a bright kid. (laughs) Always a little bit ahead. That's That's because she grew up in your house with you and Glenn. That's so true. That's so true. Only child. She got a lot of attention, didn't she? She actually said, you know, my dad's a psychologist. My mom's a school counselor. I didn't have a prayer. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's go to point four, where we say we think of parental authority in worldly ways instead of godly ways. What does that mean? Well, I think, you know, the Bible talks about obedience all the time, about being obedient to God, which, of course, is right. But it drives me crazy when I see people take those biblical concepts, which are powerful and meaningful, and apply worldly definitions to them. Like, I think, here's what obedience means from a worldly perspective. Glenn, I have power over you, I have my thumb down on you, and you have to do whatever I tell you to do because that's better for me. So get going. That's what obedience looks like in a worldly perspective. And so oftentimes when people talk about being obedient to God, they sort of have that same picture in their mind, and I think, you don't get that. Here's God's version of obedience. God says to me, Glenn, the last 1,472 times I asked you to do something and you did it, it turned out to be in your best interest. So next time I ask you to do something, I would like you to start with the assumption I'm only asking you to do that because it's in your best interest. That's obedience. Obedience means I trust that God is looking out for me. Mm-hmm. And so I listen to God's guidance because I know that it comes from a place that just wants good for me. And so I, instead of doubting it or blowing it off or trusting my own ego-centered logic, I think, okay, if you say so, I'm going to go do it. That's what obedience looks like from a Christian perspective. Now, so if we want our kids to obey us, we need to understand that godly model. Our kids aren't supposed to obey us because we have power over them. We can put our thumb down. We can make them do stuff that they hate doing. That's not, that's not parental authority in a godly way. They should be able to tell. The only reason I'm asking you to do this is because it's good for you. And if it's not, we're a bad parent. <laughs> so even if my little kid says, oh, I don't want to go to bed, I can say, you have to do it. Well, I don't want to. Well, I, 
I, I'm the parent, and I said so. See, because I'm the parent, that's why. And I just think that's the most ungodly, unbiblical answer possible. Because I have the power to force you to do it, that's why. I think that is not a, that's not a godly model. My little kid said, Dad, I don't want to go to bed. I'm going to say, yeah, I know. I never wanted to go to bed at your age either. <laughs> but, you know, you had a big spelling test tomorrow, and I know you want to do good at it. And if you're all tired, you're not going to be able to. So I just want to make sure you get enough sleep. Okay. I'm going to get that sort of reluctant answer. Mm-hmm. But they know that I literally am looking out for them. And honestly, if we're being a good parent, that's always why we're doing what we're doing. Right. And that's why we have rules. Why can't I stick my finger in the socket? Because you would get hurt. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or even if we're talking to our older kid about, you know, creating a budget when they go off to college. Oh, why should I have to do that? Because your life will be better. You'll know where your money is. You'll know what's happening. You'll feel confident in yourself. You'll make really good decisions going forward. It'll be good for you. I'm going to get the same answer. Okay. <laughs> they just want to know that we're asking them to do something because we can see what's good for them better than they can, and we're looking out for them. And any other reason is actually going to undermine our authority. Mm-hmm. So when parents say, well, Glenn, kids should respect my authority, I think you don't get it. They respect your authority to the extent that they can tell that you're looking out for them the way God looks out for us, Period. And if they tell them, no, it's just because of you, because it's easier for you to have me do it, Dad, or because you just like it that way, because that's better for you, or because you're too lazy, so you don't want to bother getting out of your chair, see, I lose all my parental authority. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to start getting that rebellion, and I'm going to get back talk, blah, blah, blah. And people think that shows that I have a bad kid. No, that shows that your kid doesn't think you're looking out for them. And all of your authority rests on that thought. Mm-hmm. Glenn, how about this? Joseph said, given the undeveloped prefrontal cortex in Uh children, I'm always at a loss for words when parents say, I can't believe they would or wouldn't do certain things. Shouldn't this be expected given the undeveloped part of the brain? Not condoning disobedience, but am expecting to continually revisit the same issue if need be. See, that's what I think too. It's perfect because I just think, A, all of us learn slowly. I had a client the other day who said, Glenn, I'm one of God's little D-minus students. (laughs) And I think, and we all are. Mm. How many how many of us have learned multiple lessons on um, letting go, on um, being a better partner, on listening instead of talking? I mean, honestly, all the things we're working on. Yeah. We don't learn them overnight. We just get better and better at them over time. Well, that's going to happen with our kid, too. And when they ask a question, why do I have to do that? We need to understand that's not back talk. That's a question. And I'm going to say, well, because it will be better for you in this way. Oh, Okay. Honestly, they just really do want to know why. They're not being weird. They're not being, and you know what I mean? So when they say, well, why would I do that? It's just a job to explain to them in words that make sense to them why they would do that, mm-hmm. why that's better for them. I'm going to take us on a small rabbit trail. Okay, but great, love it. When we talk about obedience, mm-hmm. I, I think God wants us to be obedient. Right. But I also would love for you to make the, um, talk about the difference between obedience and compliance. Right. People, right. you know, if, if I'll be compliant. It right. doesn't mean my heart belongs to right. wanting to do what you want me to do. Right. And that's why, see, that's the problem with the worldly definition of obedience. I only do something because you make me. Okay. So compliance is all you're going to get out of me. When you go do this because it'll be better for me, go right now. I don't care if you're busy. I don't care what you're doing. Do this because I matter and you don't and go do this right now. Compliance is all I'm ever going to get or rebellion or back talk, but I'm never going to get actual obedience. I'm going to get somebody who walks away muttering or bump me under their breath. That's not obedience. That's why godly obedience is different. God says, Glenn, I really am looking out for you. So I'm asking you to do this because I can tell it will be way better for you. 
Oh, okay. And to the extent that I believe God better and better and better the longer I'm on this journey, the more I really, really believe I'm only being asked to do this because someone who can see the whole thing at one time, unlike me, can see that that would be better for me. Okay. And if we understand God has information about our life that we don't have. Right. And the lives of every person around us. Yes. And that he wants our best. Right. And we can trust him completely. Right. So obedience should be, godly obedience should be a a lovely experience. Right. Exactly. That's like, okay, great. There's the struggle, right? Right. um, So I was holding my granddaughter the other day, little Isabel, and I say to her real softly, who loves Isabel? And she looked at me really gently and said, (laughs) which melted my heart, of course. But see, I just think God is always saying the same thing to us. Who loves you? Who loves you perfectly, completely, honestly, all the time, every single minute? Oh, it's you, God. It's you, Lord. Mm-hmm. Right. That's the right answer. Yeah. <laughs> so, and when we get that then, then we obey not because somebody makes us or because we're complying, because we would lovingly want to. Yeah. Who would want to serve a God who loves you powerfully all the time, every minute of the day? Yeah, Glenn, Tim said, say it again for the people in the back. Obedience <laughs> means trusting that God has our best interest in mind for us. Right. Or something like that. And it's only asking us to do what God's asking us to do because he sees the whole picture and he knows what's actually best for me before I can even see that thing coming. Okay. And I'm going to trust that that's true. That's what obedience means. I trust that God's word is there for me, be helpful to me, as opposed to our worldly way where Obedience just means, Glenn, you have to do it because I can make you. God is not interested in that. God's interested in me being on the team because I want to. That's why when it says God measures a man's heart in Hebrews, I think, wait, because that's what actually matters. So it's important to know exactly what God wants us to do and how to obey. We learn that in his word. Right. And obedience just means I listen, I trust, I do my best discernment, just like when the Apostle Paul said in Thessalonians, he says... Don't quench the spirit, don't distrust prophecy, but test everything, hold fast to what is good. So God puts the thought in our heart. We're not supposed to reject it just because it doesn't make sense to us. We're supposed to think, okay, okay, I'm willing to listen. Now, if I am really hearing God correctly, I will notice as I go along to my day that it actually makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. So, in other words, listen to Faith Radio all the time, Absolutely. which I think you do. especially when Dr. Glenn Pickering is exactly. on. That guy is, but, oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah, but now that we're in this last couple of minutes yeah. phase, Glenn... Yep. Let's say in conclusion, and let's talk just towards the end about parents who have that power struggle with older children. Right. If I have a power struggle with my older child, and um, that means that there's something between the two of us that's not working. It's one of those 50-50 patterns I was trying to talk about a few minutes ago. And so part of using my parental authority rightly is asking God to show me the log in my own eye. So I go talk to my adult child and say, hey, you know, I know we've been in a conflict about X, Y, or Z. And I can see that my part of that conflict has been dot, dot, dot. I see that. I'm convicted about it. I promise you I'm going to start doing my part differently. If you're willing to join me in that, that'd be terrific. And again, people say, oh, I don't want to lose my parental authority. And I think, you don't get it. When you come to your kid who's 4, 24, or 44, and acknowledge something that you want to do different. They're not going to lose respect for you. Their respect for you will jump enormously. And they will now know how to do that when it's their turn. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like um, my friend Steve was giving a talk on parenting somewhere. And somebody said, well, Steve, my kid is a preteen now. They don't listen to anything I say. And Steve paused for a moment sort of prayerfully. And then he said, you know, you shouldn't worry about the fact that your kids never listen to you. You should worry about the fact that they're always watching you. 
Wow. And when I come to my kid and say, I'm really sorry, I've been doing this wrong, I can see what my part is. I really invite you to join me in doing this thing differently. They're like, oh, that's how you do it. I swear to you, none of us know how to do anything until we see at least one person do it. And then we're very likely to do it because now we've seen it. So we need to understand we are always literally a walking role model for them Mm -hmm. about how to deal with things like that. Glenn, it's always a delight. Thanks for being here. Oh, thank you for yeah. having me. Truth. Well, Dr. Glenn Pickering has been our guest. Go to Glenn Pickering. That's two N's, G-L-E-N-N-P-I-C-K-E-R-I-N-G, glennpickering.com. You can download this outline that we spoke about today under the media tab, and you can also uh, request that you have a free 20-minute conversation with Glenn over the phone. He'd love to talk to you. And there's no strings attached to that. He's just willing to help, which is lovely. So we're going to take a little break, and then in the second hour, which is just in a couple of minutes, we're going to talk to Canon J. John, all the way from the U.K. Dr. Peter Kapster and I are going to talk to him about Pentecost. That's all coming up in hour two. Be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.